0: To, uh, I have been. We well, have went through a lot of, of different things with the RBD, and it's been some good training. It's been some good, some good stuff on on, uh, on doctrine. A lot of good things have been said, but I really want to finish Proverbs. Uh, first and foremost, I want to finish Proverbs because Proverbs is when you begin to read through it, it's like going through a uh, spiritual uh, thorn thicket. That's the best way of putting it. Because it awakens you to what we need to be. I, I was uh I was praying before service. I came over early and and I had gone through I'd actually done most of my research the last few days, but um I came over and and I just began begin to pray and and I some of the God just kind of brought back to my remembrance a lot of things that that have come out in the uh, in in books in in Christian literature. I guess it's the best way of putting it. And and there's a lot of a uh, lot of uh, positive things that have come out. And I'm certainly not attacking those in any way. But everything that you see come that has come out, it talks about. Ways to increase your faith. Uh, ways to, you know, the. Uh, I've been reading a, a, a book about about uh, breakout churches, and and it's been really good for me. I'm not quite got it completed yet, but uh, it really give me some. It showed me myself, and I um. And I and I like it, but I, everything that I see, you never really see a whole lot concerning how we need to live and i'm not just talking about about stand. this is not about standards this is just about how you need to live what's important what's not important and everything is all you know there again you know this is how your faith goes and everything's good and 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 but you know that stuff comes after a person gets established after they learn how to daily walk with God, how they, when they learn what they should do and what they shouldn't do, and also learn that, you know, we all have our failures at times. What do you do when you fail? It's, this, is a, this, is a, this is what Proverbs is about. You've heard me say it many times. Proverbs is the whole Bible condensed into one book. And, and and that's why I, I read, I I've read and reread, and whenever I get, uh, oddly enough, whenever I get a little down, I go back to Proverbs. And it uh, kind of pushes me to realize that, you know, you get a grip. You know, there's a lot of people who are a lot worse off than you are. <laughs> and, and so it helps me. And so I, I, I feel like the whole church, and I left off, it's been several weeks ago, I left off of Proverbs 20 and verse 7. And I'm going to go to Proverbs, Proverbs twenty verse nine, and we don't have PowerPoint uh, servers down. I, that's, I, we rebuilt the server; server's still down. You know, it, the server's always down. If you went to a restaurant and the servers were always down, you never eat anything, would you? It's about the same thing here. You never get anything to eat because you don't have servers down. Proverbs twenty verse nine: Who can say, "I have made my heart clean"? I am pure from my sin. I'm going to read that again. Notice how it says it. Who can say, I have made my heart clean, I am pure from my sin? Now, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the Amplified says it basically the same way. Okay? So, who can say, I've made my heart clean, I am pure from my sin? Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Now... I'm going to qualify every statement I'm about to make with this little preface that I'm putting in here. I am not negative, but I will say this. This particular proverb has helped me to understand that there is such a thing as holy cynicism. And to have understanding of how you need to live, it is good to have a dose of of holy cynicism. And you all have been called cynics, and you know, you you say that a pastor that's been there for a while, he says, yeah, you watch him, and they are all ready to do this, and they always, at the end, they never follow through, and, and you know, the pastor's seen that a few hundred times, and he begins to just look at him and shake his head whenever they make a promise that they're going to do something. Yeah, I'll see how you are next Sunday. And you say that he's a cynic. But, Holy cynicism helps you to understand that people will fail. That you will fail. Who do you trust? The worst thing you can do is trust yourself completely. Okay? Follow me. Follow me. And especially you. You know, especially you. Wisdom includes knowledge that your heart is corrupt according to Proverbs twenty eight twenty six. If you're truly wise, you know that your heart is corrupt, regardless of how much Holy Ghost that you have in you, you're still buried underneath all the all the, the the wonders and the fruit of the Spirit, there is the works of the flesh. And if you let it out just a little bit it will push down the fruit of the Spirit. It really will. So you take a leap upward in wisdom when you learn to mistrust yourself. I thought that you would probably get your attention with this. Only really foolish people trust their own motives and thoughts. Now I'm giving you scripture for this. Proverbs twelve fifteen, Proverbs and we've covered some of these before, Proverbs fourteen twelve, and Jeremiah seventeen verse nine, and I think you have first Corinthians uh, three, eighteen through twenty. Would you read that for me?
1: Let no person deceive himself. If anyone among you suppose that he is wise is in this age, let him become a fool. Let him discard his worldly discernment and recognize himself as dull, stupid, and foolish. Without true learning and scholarship, that he may become really wise. Do you or get th-
0: that? That is there more? I'm sorry. 19 and Go, ahead. 20. Go ahead. Go ahead. Read it. Read it.
1: For this world's wisdom is foolishness, absurd, absurd, absurdity, and stupidity with God. For it is written, he lays hold of the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts and reasoning of the humanly wise and recognizes how
0: futile they are. True wisdom is to recognize yourself, according to the Amplified Bible, is being slow and stupid. That's what that says, exactly what that says. It lets us know that within our worldly way of thinking that we're going to not really be wise. The transition, the transition between worldly wisdom to spiritual wisdom takes a lifetime. And when you finally think that you've arrived, you realize that you don't know half. It is so imperative for people to see it for what it is if we do not look at it for how it really is in our lives. And we begin to think that we have it all. Because what we're seeing here, what we're truly seeing in this this particular proverb is he is warning us against self-righteousness. He is warning us against this. And this 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 crucial this crucial fact forces you to seek counsel for decisions from God or wise men, and it keeps you from excuse me, proudly condemning others and causes you to cry out to God for mercy. I, I no matter how much I pray, I always come back to a point where I, I get down and I do like the public and And beat myself on the chest that God have mercy on me. Because no matter how much I think that I know, how much that I feel like I'm doing the right thing, I find myself still needing and will always need God's mercy. And help us to always desire to seek that. You know, can you answer the Proverbs question? Can you the, the, the answer is, is 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 no no man can make these two statements about his heart? What can I say Have I made my heart clean nobody can do that it is a it is a method of style that an interrogative of Positives creates a powerful negative conclusion man's heart by nature is corrupt and his motives are impure and Solomon used use the power of the rhetorical negative to teach man's depravity the Bible the inspired holy book teaches that all men, excuse me, have perverse hearts and selfish motives. Adam, the father of humanity, ruined his descendants by rebelling against God. And since the Garden of Eden, all men by nature despise God and righteousness and love sin and evil. Job used rhetorical questions to teach the same truth. Who can bring a clean thing out of the unclean? Not one according to Job fourteen four. What is a man that he should be clean? And which is born of woman that he should be righteous in Job fifteen fourteen. How then can man be justified with God? How can he be clean that is born of a woman in Job twenty five verse four? The human heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked beyond even your ability to comprehend. And Jeremiah seventeen verse nine, read it for me. The heart is deceitful above all things, and is it exceedingly perverse
1: and corrupt and severely mortally sick? Who can know it, perceive, understand, be acquainted with his own heart and mind?
0: Now you believe the painful truth. No man can overcome this internal curse. This twists your thinking, it perverts motives, according to 1 John 1, 8. And only by the creative power of the Lord Jesus can men obtain a new heart of righteousness and holiness that is capable of true wisdom. Only through the new birth can a person truly begin to achieve true wisdom. And really, the book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom. And it, it, it's, it's Solomon, which I believe Solomon wrote the book, it's Solomon teaching his son the road to wisdom, the road to righteousness. That's what the whole book is about. It's him trying to guide his son in, in the, on this road to, to, to find what true wisdom really is. Now, what is the lesson? The doctrine is clear. Man is depraved, foolish, sinful, and unjust, and he cannot cure himself. But why is this proverb here without context? This is the interesting thing about a lot of the proverbs. You don't have a context to put them in. It's all of a sudden you see Solomon write this thing. It's in a, it's in a verse. This been, of course, it's been broken into a verse, uh, broken down into a verse, and, and it's there. And there's no context with it. Now, where would this come from? I mean, really... What we are talking about right here, it should be uh, in the book of Romans. It fits better in the book of Romans. But you've got to remember Solomon's purpose. And again, I said it earlier, to teach young men discretion and wisdom, according to Proverbs 1, 1 through 4. So there are two important lessons here. Others cannot be fully trusted to have pure intentions, and you must not foolishly presume your own motives are pure. Well, that's a hard one, isn't it? You ever really been honest with yourself when you looked at your motives? You you really looked at, you know, why did I do what I just did? Why did I say I was going to be this way or made this commitment to God and to man? What was my motive behind that? Was it truly because I want to please God or is it because I want to be seen of men or I don't want anybody to think poorly of me? You know, we really need to stay away from this kind of thinking, because it might make us better.
1: <laughs>
0: so Solomon also made a similar argument from the doctrine of human depravity in the, in, the, in the book of Ecclesiastes. You know, some people, and I don't like using the term, uh, but some people call the book of Ecclesiastes a book of philosophy. It's not. It's, it's ordained of God. And if you want to say philosophy that is ordained of God, I suppose it's all right. But he wrote this. He said, For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not, according to Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20. And again, it appears there is little or no context for the statement. So you can look at Ecclesiastes 19 through 21. Where did that come from? But if you look closer, you see that Solomon was warning against thoughts of self-righteousness and excessive harshness towards others, according to Ecclesiastes 7:16 through 22. You see a lot of people with a wrong motive being harsh and self-righteous. And they're harsh towards other people because they see within someone else what they are doing. And so they prefer getting everything pointed at this poor person over here when in reality they're just as guilty as that the individual is. And you see a lot of people living that way. Pointing my fingers over here at this one because I don't want anybody to take a good hard look at me. Mm. (sighs) You know, let's, let's move on with that. Uh, A prerequisite for wisdom is to know man's nature. This is a prerequisite, and this is the reason I'm teaching this the way I am. Because in order for us to have the wisdom that we want from God, we have to understand man's nature. And man's nature is incurably foolish and depraved. So this is where the term holy cynicism comes in. Holy cynicism is necessary to deal with human problems. In order for you to deal appropriately, when you sit down, or maybe I'm getting out, maybe I'm getting beyond here what I need to, but I I feel this way. You sit down across the desk from someone else, and you hear this person lay out their problem. I always ask God, because this is where uh, discerning needs to come in. God, what is the core of all this? Show me the word of wisdom. Show me the word of knowledge. What is the core of the problem here? You know, I'm talking about my husband who abuses me or my, my wife who's got some kind of terrible secret. What is the core? What is really at the basis of this? is the person across from me actually pointing fingers at someone because they're the one that has the problem. And I ask God to give me the wisdom to be able to bring this out because you can, you're can. you constantly talking to that person. You're constantly counseling that person. And you never get the answer because the answer is buried within them. And until you speak it out, until you bring it out, and that person begins, and I've done it, and that person begins to break down, then you'll get to the core, well, really... I have, you know, I I had a minister a long time ago that had a real problem with any kind of second marriages, any kind. Didn't matter what they did, had a problem with it. And through the course of time, as I got closer to that particular minister, it turned out in a lapse of thought, I guess, I found out that he'd been married twice. So you have you have you have that happen so many times. Whenever an individual has got something, they're constantly looking at, constantly pointing their fingers at. A lot of times you look back and you point the finger. The finger's pointing right back at them. And until you can bring it out and say, "Look, you know, you, you you're guilty of the same thing." How can you point a finger at someone else when you've done the same thing? This is where we go down to, uh, you know, you have to evaluate others' opinions and thoughts by the criteria of Scripture. That is the only criteria that you have. The criterion of Scripture is what we base it on, not my opinion, but what the Bible says. And if we don't do this, if we don't, if we don't bring this, this, this criterion out, then we're always going to have problems. Paul wrote later, he said, let God be true and every man a liar. Let God be true and every man a liar in Romans 3 verse 4. But you cannot trust your own opinions or thoughts either. So you 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 must also test your ideas by Scripture. In Psalm nineteen through seven, and Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen uh, tells you this. Without without holy doubts about your own motives and thoughts, you 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 will be more faithfully, or you will more faithfully heed Solomon's exhortation to a multitude of counselors for your safety. In Proverbs eleven fourteen, and more humbly receive correction. In Proverbs twenty seven five and six. Furthermore, you must slow down to better hear others' arguments and complaints. When time passed, you might have reacted too arrogantly and quickly, according to Proverbs 18.13. And after all, your judgment could be very wrong due to your corrupt heart. With this Proverbs wisdom firmly in your mind, you will, sh- will you slow your response and study before answering. Proverbs fifteen twenty eight. you need to slow down and listen and understand that there's corruption in your heart. That is why it is so essential to have a knowledge of the Bible. It does not matter my opinion. If my opinion does not agree with the Scripture, then my opinion is absolutely worthless. Give the Lord a good hand clap. You understand what I'm saying? Proverbs twenty verse six says reject all self righteousness. Proverbs twenty seven, let your walk twenty and seven rather, let your walk prove your integrity. And if a ruler corrects you, do not reject the rebuke foolishly in Proverbs twenty verse eight. Examine even minor aspects of life. Proverbs twenty verse ten. Even a child is known by his actions, not his words, Proverbs twenty verse one. If you have ability to see or hear truth with understanding, it is by God's grace, Proverbs twenty verse twelve. It is by God's grace if you can hear it and have the understanding of it. And God help us all to be able to ascertain that one little bit. I have got to understand that it's not a matter of me being arrogant with a quick answer just to prove how smart I am. But it's through God allowing me to have the wisdom through His Word to be able to give the proper answer. You know, the only hope for you or any other person is the grace of God and the resurrection power of Jesus Christ to give us a new heart. That is really all there is. Romans eight, seven, and eight actually tells us this. I don't think I no, I don't I don't have that one. Um there is no there's no rehabilitation of the human heart. It it must be recreated. Perfection cannot be achieved here. You must wait for heaven, according to Hebrews twelve twenty three. And even the best of men and their most noble actions are tainted and spoiled by the remaining pollution in their, in their earthly frames. You know, all of us, we carry that around with us. No matter how right we are, no matter how good, no matter if we go to six weeks every night service to a revival and we're speaking in tongues every night, we're still walking around in a tainted frame. And, and if we don't, if we don't keep in mind that it is tainted, we'll find ourselves in places we don't want to be. You see, with that little bit of holy cynicism, that keeps me from going to somewhere I don't need to be that could create a problem for me in the future. Now, therefore, the utmost humility about your condition is necessary to learn true wisdom. Neither you nor any other man can be fully trusted. Terrible way to preach, isn't it? You must beg God for mercy on your miserable condition. You must trust every word of God over any thought of your own, according to Psalm 119, And since you cannot make your heart clean or be pure from sin, you must cast yourself on the grace of God. And that is the only way it's ever going to work. And it truly is. Moving on. Proverbs 20, verse 10. Proverbs 20, verse 10. I'll let you, if you've got that, I'll let you read that and amplify Amplified. Did I just read it? Oh, I'll read it here. Sorry. Right.
1: Oh, you got it? Go ahead. Diverse weights, one for buying and another for selling, and di- in diverse measures. Both of them are exceedingly offensive and abhorrent
0: to the Lord. Okay, I'm going to read it, King James. Diverse weights and divers measures, both of them are alike, an abomination to the Lord. Diverse, different. So let's get down. Let's get down to this. This is why God thinks about corrupt business. All right? And he hates corrupt business practices. So you need to be careful in all your financial and business dealings. It's better to overpay for something than to underpay. All right? This is something that if there's ever been something my wife has been really good at teaching me, it's been that, and she's made... She's, she's made that statement to me more than once. She said, I don't care. She said, how much it cost us. I don't want anybody to ever look at us and say that we ever in any way cheated them. In any way if we ever cheated them. Because there's been a lot of times that we paid for things that wasn't worth two cents and we paid way too much. Of course, the thing is, everything to me is only worth two cents. Unless I have it, and then it's worth a lot more. And not the truth? <laughs> yeah. I hardly ever sell anything. Cause I wind up giving it away because I'm always afraid that I will. I will do something. And somebody. I did one time. One time I sold a car. And uh, it didn't have any problem, but the, uh, had, it was, had a clutch. And throw-out bearing went out of it about two weeks after the guy bought it. <laughs> and it was in church. I was in church. He was in church. I wasn't pastoring at the time. I don't think, no, it wasn't. And, uh, and I offered to, to give him his money back, but he was wise enough to know that that wasn't anything that was a problem. So, you know, he just puts the rock bearing in it. But I did offer because I, I did not want anything to call, create any kind of schism in the church. Did you get that? Did you get that? Yeah. It's just better. It's better to, to overpay than to create a problem like that. So, you know, and, and this is a truth too. If you do overpay, God can make up the difference. Uh, he can make the difference in money. Uh, but but no one can save you from judgment. <laughs> and I think about that a lot. You know, if I had this on my mind, then I'm thinking there's something wrong here if it keeps bothering me. So if it keeps bothering me, obviously, I'm going to face this thing in judgment one day. And that's just not worth it to me. It's not worth it. So let's look at something here. How, how much can a, a farmer steal in a year by selling 100 gallons of milk a day that contain 127 fluid ounces when milk is selling for $3 per gallon? You got that down? Oh, I'll give it to you again. Okay, How much can a farmer steal in a year by selling 100 gallons of milk a day that contain 127 fluid ounces when milk is selling for $3 per gallon? Now, this is not a word problem, okay? I, I'm not doing it uh, for learning mathematics. But this is a character test about business and personal integrity. The theft, this theft amounts to $855.47, and that's enough to get him locked up. Now, think about this. And it was so minor that no one could ever detect it. So minor. But the but God in that particular inspired Solomon and in his proverb to show you that. Okay? Divers weights and divers measures, both of them are an alike, an abomination to the Lord. Now keep in mind what I just said. Let's look at let's look at our annual theft. Are you ready? <clears throat> this is through personal phone calls and emails. Averaging just 15 minutes a day if your salary is $50,000 a year 1,562 dollars is what you just stole and If it's 30 minutes a day, that's 3,125 dollars Now what if you had another 18 minutes for arriving late getting coffee paying bills internet surfing extending lunch or leaving early? Then you have stolen five thousand dollars or ten percent of your wages and then people say, well, everyone's doing it. But true Christians don't steal from their employers. People like to hear that. We don't want to talk about that kind of stuff, right? I mean, I just told you what you do every day for 15 minutes when you do your personal emails and all this kind of thing. And, and, and it makes you a thief. You need to repent. You want to open the altars right now and we'll see everybody come down? Oh, <laughs> Maybe we need to do that. But the lesson here is financial and personal honesty. In Solomon's day, you, you bought commodities that were weighed out on the merchant scales or measured by their measuring devices. And if they used altered weights or measures, they could easily steal a little from each customer. That's what he was talking about, by using just altered weights or measures. And, they, and that was not an uncommon practice. Um, God detested and hated and loathed such business practices, and he, and, and he is just the same today. Uh, and and that, we can ask the question, are we always impeccably honest when it comes to money? Are we? It's like the person who's counting out their tithes, and they go down to the last penny. You don't do that, do you? Oh, Okay. <laughs> I know you don't. <laughs> but you ever think about that, you know, tithing envelope and you got down to the last penny? Maybe you think that's okay. And it is. I mean it's ten percent. Right? Three hundred and forty seven dollars and thirty two and and some of them cut a penny in half and put a half penny in there. No, I'm 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 just I'll teach online tomorrow, okay? <clears throat> but you think about what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's... You know, you're not stealing from God. But there's something wrong with the other end of it. It's the attitude. That's very good. It's the attitude behind that. I'm not giving any more except my 10%. It's not a cheerful giver. That's very good. Now... <sighs> It would be far better to sell your milk, back to milk again, 129 fluid ounces to the gallon than to short customers. It would be far better to work extra time off the clock than to cheat your employer. How can it be better to short yourself? You know, you end up with a pure conscience, reputation, your customers or employer are thrilled and they trust you, and God of heaven can easily make up for the loss in ways that cannot be measured by a calculator. He really can. He can do it. And you know, you think about that. And there's, there's so many. I. That's that's another thing that I've always. That's I've always. I did that before. Wherever I came to God. I, and I always did. I appreciated the fact that I had employment, and I always made it a point uh, to, you know, I. Of course, I. I never was one. And I've you've heard me say this before. I like going and getting so much. I had to set up our work. And I got that amount of work done, and I wouldn't even take lunch because I prefer taking that time off in the, later on at, at, when you got off rather than take lunch. I just work straight through. And uh, a lot of times I've been called in at midnight or, or something like that to come in. I never charged them for that. I never got on the clock because I took it. There was other ways that you took it, but you were always fair. And, you know, I've never seen, at least in my life, I've never, ever been taken advantage of by an employer by doing something like that. It's always come out in the end. And I, I believe, very, very much believe in that. Let's, let's, let's take it one step further. I believe it's uh, Titus 2, 9 and 10. Would you read that for me? Titus 2, 9 through 10. Tell bond servants to be submissive to their masters, to
1: be pleasing and give satisfaction in every way. Warn them not to talk back or contradict nor to steal by taking things of small value, but to prove themselves truly loyal and entirely reliable and faithful throughout, so that in everything they may be an ornament and do credit to the teaching which is from and about God our Savior.
0: Now, you notice it said God our Savior there. Um, actually, in the King James, it uses the term purloin. Okay? Uh, it says in, in Titus two nine and King James is what is so so it, it's if you ever see that word uh, he actually Titus tell excuse me Paul told Titus to teach employees to never purloin but to always show good fidelity that's how he said it in King James and what is purloining it means to pilfer, filch or peculate. You got that? Okay. What is pilfering, filching, and peculating? It's like purloining. They're all verbs for petty thefts, what he said actually, or stealing in small quantities in time. That's exactly what he said. And he told, Paul told Titus, he said, this is what you need to teach. Uh, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's like you, you, you think of the, go back to the farmer and the milk, the few ounces, the three ounces. You know, in a course of time, how much that amounts to. The same way with time and any employment, and especially, especially in the in the atmosphere that we're living in right now, especially with the fact they're taking so many of our jobs and, and send them to Mexico or to China. You know, American workers are still the best ones that there ever were. There's none any better. But so much of so many of the American workers right now are have have hurt themselves, and doing some of the very things that I'm telling you about. Plus the fact that you know they they keep uh, and I I'm not going to get into anything about unions here because I know that's that's near and dear to some people's hearts, but I think sometimes unions have overstepped, they really have. So it's it's just a matter of 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 being honest in everything that we do. So he told him to do this, and and he he you know that's that's not to purloin, the taking it just a little. Paul told Titus he said to teach this this job integrity authoritatively in in Titus 2.15. I don't think I have that one. Uh, Yeah, I do. Read that. Titus 2.15.
1: Tell them all these things. Urge, advise, encourage, warn, and rebuke with full authority. Let no one despise or disregard or think little of you. Conduct yourself and your teaching so as to command respect.
0: All right. God hates financial business cheating, and the gospel of Jesus Christ condemns it. Employees that never take advantage of an employer can beautify the doctrine of Jesus Christ by their fidelity, their faithfulness, their honesty, their loyalty, and their trustworthiness on the job. Now, does your business character and reputation beautify the gospel or disfigure it? And that, that, that really plays into a lot of lives. Godly employees obey and please their employers at all times and all manners without ever talking back. We had one time uh, down at Four Winds. We had, the best I could count, we had about four apostolics working there. And that year, that year was the first year that the marina broke the million-dollar mark. It made a million dollars that year. And I think that was a highlight. Uh, you know, it was shortly thereafter that I left to become full time and pastor, and uh, and you know the people begin to go away or leave. Some of the other apostolics left, and and uh, it was you know it, it just proved itself to me because everybody was honest, everybody was forthright, and they loved. We had some good, we had some good workers there. We had some bad ones too, and we had some bad apostolic workers there. And I I remember one particular man that. Was, he was in church with me, and he worked for me, and I, he was just doing a terrible job. And uh, I told him, I said, if you don't straighten out, and I said, you're, you're, going, you're going to hit the road. I said, I'm not going to put up with this. And the first thing I had, well, that's just the way Christians should teach. I said, that's exactly how we should teach. I said, you know why? I said, because you're stealing. And I said, we don't believe in that, and you're ruining my witness. And that's a guy, you know, I, I won't take that too well. I don't, that, that's how you have to, you have to do it. So, do you pay your bills on time? Everybody say hallelujah. Without cheating into the grace period. Oh. Do you return overpayments immediately? Do you return merchandise in as good a condition as when you bought it? Do you pay day laborers that day? Do you tip all service employees generously that count on tips to make a living? Of course you do. Do you give your employer a full day's work or more? Do you file complete and honest tax returns? That was the hardest one. Not right there is a bad one. (laughs) If you got all this together, then you don't have to pay any attention to that proverb. Okay. But if you don't, then you need to listen to it. And are you impeccably careful about filing out your expense reports? Something else. Do you minimize your per diem expenditures regardless of what your employer offers? Do you disclose what is wrong with a used car that you sell? Do you inform buyers of the problem with your house or business? Do you eat your mistakes in restaurants? ho I love this one. I'm going to get it. Do you eat your mistakes in restaurants or expect your meal to be free? Boy, did you notice everybody held their breath on that one? Yeah. I, I know more about that. that that last one. Oh, eat your mistakes when you make the mistake of what you order. Yeah, yeah, and they and they come do you. Eat your mistakes, yeah, or yeah, or do you send it back. Now I'm not telling you that someone does do a terrible job. That 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 you know that, that's one thing. But if you said I want this thing with onions, and when you get there, you forgot you said it. Oh, you anybody tip that much? I didn't know you tipped that.
1: Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's embarrassing.
0: Maya, uh, my wife got all her money together for wedding. It was her and I who got the wedding. anybody pay for it? But she did it through tips at Waffle House. In fact, she kept me going on tips from Waffle House, (laughs) you know, pretty much. And so she, again, she's one of those, If uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of one of those, you know, 15% people, you know. And she, yeah, she leaves 20%, you know, and... I said, she's one that keeps me right when it comes to things like that. I, I, and it never fails to be the right thing to do. It never, ever fails. So that's some good stuff. Let's move on. Do you return borrowed items in better condition than when you got them? Do you encroach on your neighbor's property lines? Do you violate his airspace by your barking dog? Or his yard by other things that dogs do? Are you conscious of others doing things to help you and do you compensate them when it becomes more than once or twice? Do you round numbers in your favor or cheat others in very small amounts? Do you complain, wheedle, threaten, or otherwise try to talk others down in their selling prices? Now I do that. I like to wheedle. <laughs> Well, I always figure that somebody is, and, you know, they put about $25, $30, or $50, whatever. On, You know, I just want to get, just want to be sure that they're, you know, I always ask them. I say, hey, I said, I know you priced this more than you really want, so what do you really want for this? You know, that's, is that wheeling? <laughs> I guess it is. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, God hates business, financial, personal cheating. He will grind you, and I believe this, into powder if you try to take advantage of others, even by small amounts. It's amazing to, to watch poor men who think they have the right to cheat to get ahead. And that's why they're poor. That's why they're poor. The generous man who scatters his money freely to help the poor and to keep a clean reputation before God, God gets ahead of the man holding back. And it always, well, Proverbs eleven twenty four through 26 tells you that. You know, you'll have opportunities to, 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 to tomorrow to be fair, generous, honest, righteous, and sacrificial. And if you choose to protect yourself and cheat anyone else, even by a very small amount, God will be offended, and you'll have a problem. So it's always, it, it's always a right thing and a considerate thing and diligent and faithful and trustworthy. And we need to beautify the gospel of Jesus Christ by being honest in everything that we do. That's just absolutely a necessity. And I, I didn't, wouldn't believe anything else. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start on this one. Proverbs 20, verse 12. This is an interesting one, and, and I want you to... This is another. When you really get into the, the, the meat of what these Proverbs are saying, sometimes, it, again, it, it's, it's boggling. You can tell that there was a very... There had to be a holy anointing and a very wise man that wrote these. Because Proverbs 20, verse 12 in the uh, King James says, The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord hath made even both of them now what in the world was he talking about okay now let's listen again the hearing ear and the seeing eye the Lord hath made both of them okay what what's he what's he saying here you know newborns are inspected to see if ears and eyes work it's just the way they do and we we thank God for healthy children of course the pagans they thank fate for it but we thank God. We thank God for functional ears and eyes, and they're very precious, precious and useful, but they are God's choice. And this is what he's saying. This is God's choice. He chose for that child to have a seeing eye and a hearing ear. He chose that. He does not owe anything to anyone, including hearing and vision. This is what is being said here. This is not something he owes us. And so, you know, the the first thing that a lot of people do, if it's not right with their newborn, is they get mad at God. But God doesn't owe us anything. So it is God's sovereign and gracious choice that any hear or see. Hearing and seeing are not rights. They are blessed privileges. And the greatest gift of hearing and seeing is the ability and the desire to discern and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ and the words of wisdom and truth. It is a very rare ability to understand, repent, and obey the gospel. It it really is. Now, think about this. A deaf or a blind child is not an accident. It is not a result of fate. It cannot be overturned by science. It is a choice of God. He is perfect in all choices, and he makes thousands of such choices for each person. His power is unlimited, and his authority absolute. He is the creator of a rebellious race, and he has the right to do as he chooses. Do you, do you, I want you to get something. There's such, there, there's a depth to this I think a lot of us don't quite grasp. And that is the simple fact that when we can see God in that light, that's when more miracles will happen. That is when more deaf ears and unseeing eyes will be open. I believe that when we see this is not you know, when someone comes down they 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 are they're got deaf ears or they're they're blind and you know we pray for them. We have to see that as God made that choice and God can make another choice to open those eyes or open those ears. If God is a sovereign one that makes that choice and we understand that concept, then we can also appreciate the fact that God can do it instantly by healing them. Now, maybe I've I, I, you know, I, I grasped that concept. You know, sometimes you don't, you don't get it. You know, this person comes down and whatever problem they have. God's allowed this to happen because He's sovereign. And that same sovereign God has got the power to do the other thing can change what's happened to this person. And I think when we grant that, when we see Him as, and respect Him in that, in that area, then there is absolutely nothing impossible for us. But we have to see it that way. You know, you, you were not even consulted if you wanted to live, if you wanted existence. Consider consider his infinite authority and sovereignty over you. Once you were alive, you could not turn off your existence. Suicide only kills your body, and after which your spirit must meet God as a, as a guilty murderer. That's exactly what it is. And your existence was a choice of God without your approval without it at all he chose your generation of birth your height your nation of origin your sex parents temperament siblings intelligence athletic ability opportunities in life and every other factor that influences your existence he is the lord you are nothing he is the potter you are the clay his choices have drastically affected your life without your approval does anybody get what i'm saying here am i just talking to myself do you understand the concept, the principle I'm trying to, to give you when we can understand that? It's one thing to say it with our mind, one thing to say it, you know, with our mouth, but really to understand it in our heart is completely different. When I can accept by faith that God has not given me any choice in this matter, this is the way I am, then I can give him that person that walks down here with a problem. I can allow him to say, God, you know what this situation is. You allowed it. I want you, if you would, God, right now, by faith, I'm believing you to change this situation. Humble yourself before this great and mighty God. Crush your vain thoughts. Give Him praise and worship. Adore Him. Thank Him for all that you have and are. Offer Him all that you have and are. Beg Him for mercy for your sins and dedicate your life to Him. That's the key. That's the key. It's not questioning. It's not being up and down. It's not a matter of I'm I'm upset with God today. I mean, I'd rather, rather see upset with God than deny exist. But still, on the other hand, it's a matter of accepting the situation. When you can accept that, then God can change it. And that's what that's what this is saying. When the disciples saw a man born blind, they knew it had been God's choice, and Jesus told them it was for God's glory. In John nine one through three, he, they told him that. Would God blind a man for 30 years just for his own glory? Think about what I just said. Would He blind him for his own glory? Yeah, He did. Would God put a man out to pasture like an ox for his own glory? Yeah. Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar. That's why we need to fear God. Right? Spiritual hearing and sight are much more important than physical. It is only by God's free grace that any sinners are given spiritual ears and eyes to hear and see the things of God. And most men do not think about God in any meaningful way their entire lives, according to Psalms 10 and 4. Spiritual senses are given when you are born again. You receive natural hearing and vision at your first birth. You receive spiritual hearing and vision at your second birth. So what could it be? Could it be the blind, the deaf man? Who receives a baptism of the Holy Ghost, repents of his sins, baptized in Jesus' name. Could it be when that man has his ears open for spiritual hearing, his eyes open for spiritual seeing, that God can restore the physical as well? I've seen it, it's happened. I believe a lot of times, I've, I've seen people, I, I've, not so much here, but overseas. I've, I've, you're bolder, I think, at least I am, I'm bolder over there. You say, you know, if you're baptized in Jesus' name, I believe God will take care of whatever ailment that you have. And God does. It's a matter of them stepping out and saying, okay, I'm going to do this because this is right. And then God takes care of the situation. Jesus said, "Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God." Cannot see it in John three three, and also he that that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not because ye are not of God. In John eight forty seven, both sight and hearing are the gifts of God. Jesus Christ hid the truth from the Jews, but he revealed it to his disciples in Matthew eleven twenty five and thirteen and ten. He revealed it to them. Why do most men not even consider God and truth? Why do most men think the gospel to be foolish? God has not opened their ears to hear it with understanding and conviction. Why do most see His his creation and ascribe their existence to evolution and fate? God has not opened their eyes to see Him or His truth. You depend on God's choice. Now, in all that being said, I've heard people say, well, if God so chooses, and I'll be saved. According to the one I'm telling you here, that is very close to the truth, but it's not the truth. And the truth is that you don't know who God's going to choose. And the fact is, yes, God does make the choice. Yes, God draws people to Him in repentance. But it's not a matter of you thinking that you're not one of them that's going to be. God makes that choice, not you. That's where we put ourselves in God's place. Because I had a young man sit and tell me that. He said, if God wants me to be saved, He'll save me no matter what I'll do. And I said, God will draw you. I just said, but He won't make you. Now... The rich man in hell asked Abraham to send Lazarus back from the dead to warn his five brothers from joining him there. But Abraham's sober answer was that without the grace of God to open their ears and eyes, even a man coming back from the dead would not convict or change their depraved and rebellious hearts. In Luke 16, 27. If they were not interested in Bible reading, they would not be interested in man coming back from the dead. And that's exactly right. You know, have you ever wondered why family or friends don't appreciate the things God has shown you in His Word? Why are they not convicted like you about God and godliness? You know what would happen if you confronted classmates or colleagues about Jesus Christ's coming judgment, living a holy life? They'd reject your words and hate you. What is the explanation? You have have hearing ears and seeing eyes, but they do not. And it's up to us to pray and to seek those that do have or are willing to have their eyes open and their ears open. That's why we reach out. That's why there is outreach. That's why there's Bible studies. That's why that we should have a desire to do these things. Because we know that God can open their ears. And then, you know, it's kind of you knock on doors. You've done things. I've come to people, and it seems like they were just automatically open to the Word of God, and they could take it. teach them a Bible study. They're saved. Everything's great. You have others, it just doesn't ever seem to, to click. But God makes the choice; it's not us. So you have to keep that in mind when you're working with people. Keep in mind that not everybody—that's not your fault. Not that you've done a bad job, and you can't take that—you know—you can't take that personally. You have to just keep going because a lot of people out there that do want to hear the truth, and you can't just stop on one and say, "Well, obviously, I'm not a good Bible study teacher." Don't be frustrated. By people rejecting truth and wisdom, no matter how well you present it, Jesus and Paul met with the same responses. The religious leaders of the Jews crucified Jesus and they chased Paul around the Roman Empire until he was beheaded. So thank God for your hearing ears and your seeing eyes, and pray for him to lead you to others that have been that that have a desire to be born again. God can He'll lead you just like the people like Cornelius or to Lydia. You know, there are no human means to, to bring hearing to ears and sight to eyes. Only, only the Lord can do this great work. Man-made evangelistic efforts to sound the gospel to deaf ears and to show the Savior to blind eyes are foolish and vain because sometimes it just won't happen. The gospel is only heard and seen by those ready, that are truly ready, men with hearing ears and seeing eyes and they desire it more than anything else i don 't so much say with hearing ears, and let me rephrase that it 's people that are ready to have their their ears open and ready to have their eyes open. That are the people that we 're looking to, and I think that that clicks it begins to click in your spirit. You know when you 're dealing with one of them that doesn 't mean that you don 't present the gospel to everybody because not everybody is immediately ready for it You know i it 's surprising i I told um, sister evans I had, a, I had a guy call or I want to have a funeral here this Saturday. Uh, but he called and and he told me. He said, "He said you prayed with me to receive the Holy Ghost thirty years ago." He told me his name, and I can't remember him to save my neck. But he remembered me, and he told me. He said, "You know," he said I, I walked away from God, and he said I, I got back. But he said I want you to know. He said that I've remembered you and never have forgotten you for this entire time. So. You don't know what's going to happen with the seed that you sow. You don't know when God's going to open those ears or open those eyes. You don't know. We just know that we're to present the gospel and let God take care of the rest. Stand with me if you would. Stand with me if you would. Lord bless each and every one of you. I uh, love Proverbs. I didn't get uh, done with what I was planning on doing today. Uh, I'll work on with it some more. I um, I believe Truly, that I, I was in prayer again today. I was asking God for an evangelistic thrust. Of course, we want that. I always ask for that. But it's been on my heart even even more so recently. And, and um, I said, God, you know, I, I've, I've got this evangelistic thrust in my circle along with a million dollars. And uh, I'd like to have both. And maybe it takes one to get the other. But regardless, you know, I said, I've been walking around this, and others have been walking around this. And I said, I'd just like to see something happen here, you know. And <laughs> whether God brought it, and I believe he did, it was immediately like I, in my past when I was a kid, we dealt with horses, you heard me talk about it. And so I brought it into a place of corral. And And he spoke to me, and he said, he said, what you're doing, your faith, he said, you're putting one pole up to make a corral. And he said, a horse gonna step over it. He said, what you want more than try to keep everything out is what you want is to try to keep something in. That's what the circle's about. He said, the thing that you're wanting wants to escape. And we allow it to escape by our doubts. When we doubt, we've not got this thing built up enough to keep it in. I'm not trying to keep the the lions and the coyotes out from eating my my horse in the corral. I'm trying to keep the crazy horse in. And whatever you believe, that's exactly what we do. That's why we circle it. Because we're trying to keep it in. Because you know as well as I do, after so long a period of time, you begin to doubt what you're praying is right or not. And whether God's going to give it to you. So you just knock down the pole and let it go. Then you question, why in the world, God, did, did you not do that? Well, it's because you didn't keep at it long enough. Asking it shall be given to you, seeking you shall find, knocking the door shall be opened unto you. That The way the term ask, seek, and knock is, meant, it's a continual process. And sometimes that's the hardest thing for me personally to do. You know, I keep wanting to think that God... You know, you. I, I've asked it, and I do this. Sometimes I feel led to ask something one time and leave it alone. But other times it's a matter, it's a church thing. It's all of us that we have to put this in the corral, keep circling this thing, and building up that whole that corral till there's nothing going to get out of it. We're not going to let our, our revival get out of it. We're not going to let our money get out of it. We're going to keep it in. Would you do that with me? All right. Thank you. Let's raise our hands together right now. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We praise you and we glorify you. Ask God now. You know each and every need. You know what we've been praying. You know what this church has been praying. I ask God now that you would give us, grant it to us. Let us continue by faith to keep these things coming. And know, God, that you will do what you said you will do. Being fully persuaded that which you have promised, you're also able to perform. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.